I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. So, we're going team by team. I will be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Is that legal on this? Yeah, I like football. I like football season and all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL podcast, podcast show. Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson, Brad Spielberger. We've got a three-way show here going today and tomorrow because it is free agency time. we got Brad in the studio. My chair's squeaking like crazy, but we're going to make do. A lot of noises coming out of that chair. A lot of noises coming out of the chair. In all directions. Yeah. Anytime every- you move, anytime you get off the chair, it's, it's, it's struggling, that chair. We're going to play through it, as is the chair. <laughs> God willing. All right, we're going to make it. We're going to make it. Um, so, day one of free agency is uh, kind of in the books. We had uh, tampering yesterday, legally. Legal tampering. It's the first time. Yesterday, was, it, was a, it was a monumental day in the offseason. It was the first time teams and agents could talk to each other. Legally. The very first time. Very first time. Uh-huh. So, we had a bunch of stuff happen. Brad, how you doing? What do you think? High-level thoughts on day one before we get into... Uh, Specifics. Yeah, doing well. And the biggest thing is, and, and I should have honestly anticipated this more, but because of the impending explosion at interior defensive line for a lot of extensions coming up, Quinton Williams, Dexter Lawrence, et cetera, Jeffrey Simmons, every guy, if you are an interior defensive lineman, Zach Allen getting over $15 million a year, Draymond Jones getting about 17, you know, Dalvin Tomlinson last night gets over 14. If you're in that position right now, is the time to play, you know, time to get paid. Um, and I think it's interesting, guards as well. So there's the counteractive of you're opposite these guys, they become more valuable. I think interior offensive linemen are making the argument of, you know, we should get paid more as well. Uh, I thought that was an interesting kind of takeaway of the day. And you made the statement yesterday, no fantasy football players really making moves other than, uh, what, Jimmy Garoppolo. So it was uh, it was a day for the trenches yesterday. Day for the for trenches, sure. day for the big, the hog mollies, which, you know, beautiful to see. All right, so let's get into some of the specifics. We'll go through some of the, the teams that made big splashes, starting with the Denver Broncos. And uh, Sam, I know you had you have a, a question to start with here with Denver. What are they doing in Denver to build around Russell Wilson? Yeah, well, obviously the Denver question this entire offseason is how do you fix Russell Wilson? I mean, this is one team where or one franchise where the entire direction is singular. We have this disaster of a quarterback situation last year. The entire thing was built around him a year ago. It was a complete train wreck. Now the entire approach has to be putting that back together again. Sean Payton comes in as the guy that can fix that. First thing he does, no more office for us, no more private parking spaces, no more coaches in the building, you know, personal coaches. We're going to do this normally like any other franchise, and you're going to have to get with the program. But now you get free agency, and we get to see sort of what they're actually doing from a personnel standpoint to try and build around Russell Wilson. And at the moment, it looks like they are attacking – the offensive line first and foremost and doing it heavy so here's what they've done uh guard ben powers coming over from the ravens four years 52 million dollars uh mike mcglinchy the top right tackle on the market five years 87.5 million or right up there with Jawan taylor at right tackle mcglinchy comes over from the 49ers uh, mcglinchy's a great run blocker pretty good pass blocker despite some of those uh still images going around the interwebs on him uh, getting tossed by Micah Parsons. Bad rep. Bad rep. Uh, Chris Manhurts, the tight end, another you know blocking tight end. They bring in Alex Singleton at linebacker. Resigned and, him. 
uh, sorry, yeah, re-signed him. And then uh, Zach Allen, who Brad referenced, coming over from the Arizona Cardinals, three years, a little over $45 million. And, of course, Jarrett Stidham comes in to, uh, to push Russ, maybe. Well, you know, the last, last year, his backup was, had his back too much, you know, was getting, starting fights with the offensive line, trying to defend Russ. Now he's got a backup who might actually you know, push him. I don't know. Stidham stole the job of the last guy. That's what I'm saying. Derek Carr. Um, so that's where the Broncos are going. And remember two years ago at this time, Sam, we were joking about the, uh, the Seahawks and what they were doing for Russell Wilson. Remember, he was, he was going on Dan Patrick and, you know, talking about how unhappy he was. And then they, they signed Gabe Jackson or traded for Gabe Jackson. It was like, there you go. There's your olive branch, Russ. This is a better olive branch by yeah. Denver. I mean, certainly in terms of, you know, looking like they care about the offensive line, this is attacking that in a fairly major way. You're bringing in two tier one free agents, two high-priced guys to attack an offensive line that wasn't terrible. It, you know, the thing that sort of gets lost in a lot of this is, okay, that offensive line got banged up a lot last year, but when they had their starters out there, Russell Wilson made that unit look a lot worse than it actually was. And that's part of the dynamic here. So when you're bringing in guys like McGlinchey, McGlinchey has been in one of the most offensive line favorable systems in the NFL. Shanahan, it's a cheat code for quarterbacks. It makes quarterbacks look great, but it also makes offensive linemen look really good as well. So he's going from that to a system that is making its offensive line, or a quarterback anyway, that is making its offensive line look a lot worse by the amount of time he holds onto the ball, by the amount of time he doesn't take the free, easy cheap pass over the middle quickly and instead dithers and all of a sudden there's pressure you know you're going to be stressing those guys and so it's a it's an interesting collection of players they're bringing in to do that brad your thoughts on denver at a high level the the way the the, uh, the money that they're spending in the trenches basically on uh, on both sides of the ball and what they're doing yeah i mean probably the biggest spenders of the entire offseason so far which when you have 49 million per year for russell wilson has been interesting i like both addition on the offensive line i think mcglinchy's deal is pretty rich but i do think it's interesting we talked yesterday powers and mcglinchy very different kind of stylistically players you knew sean payton was going to attack the trenches he's always valued having those big guys up front and then zach allen look good player like i mentioned the market is exploding for all these guys um but that's a pretty big deal for a guy who basically had you know kind of his breakout last year um, in Arizona, reunites with Vance Joseph, but it's a pretty strong contract for a guy that's had one season above 30 pressures. Um, you know, has the inside-outside flexibility, I think can do a lot of nice things, but they're spending. Yeah. Zach Allen was one of those names. One of the the difficult things, I think, when we evaluate, but whether it's for the draft or free agency, is how much do you weigh one season? And right. with Zach Allen, um, it was kind of like Hassan Reddick a couple years ago, where Reddick, he did transition from linebacker to edge, and then he had just had this late season stretch where he looked like an elite pass rusher as an edge defender. And it's like, okay, what do you do with that? Can he replicate it? And then he kept having to prove himself on one-year deals and proved, hey, he's a, he's a legitimate edge rusher. Um, is Zach Allen that guy? Because he came out as this, everybody gets J.J. Watt comps if they play inside-outside, but he was this inside-outside run stopper with pass rush, potentially finally showed it last year. But I do like that move for Denver. And I like the Ben Powers move. Guy's gotten better every single year of his career. You get him in year five. As an offensive lineman, uh, last year top 15 guard using PFF War. Um, I kind of like where Denver is. I think the question now, though, Cortland Sutton's tweeting through it on uh, mm. about uh, you know trying to trying to leave town. One of the things that made Denver attractive is on paper it was Cortland Sutton, Tim Patrick, Jerry Judy, and KJ Hamler. What does that receiving core look like? Because 
that's what's really going to determine how good Denver can be. Yeah, I mean, if at the moment it's one question. They've added offensive linemen. They haven't touched the receiving core. And I mean that they haven't lost players from the receiving core. So in theory, we're getting better on offense right now. Sean Payton comes in. We know he's a good offensive mind. He's a guy that is tasked with with figuring out how this Russell Wilson thing is going to work. But if they now start to lose wide receiver talent, if they decide to trade away one of these guys, whether it's Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, whatever, unless they backfill in the draft and add somebody, that's when I think you have to start asking questions about whether we actually got better here. We upgraded on the offensive line, but I think you can realistically question how much. You know, McGlinchey is a good, not great right tackle. Ben Powers has been a good, not great guard. Do they upgrade the guys they've come in to replace? Sure. Do they upgrade them massively? Not really. And for the amount of money they're paying, you know, it's, it's debatable. But if you're going to then start to take away from other areas of that offense, that, to me, I think is more of a question. So I, I think I'm left with a question of how much better have Denver got for the money that they've spent, and is that actually moving the needle in terms of a 2023 Russell Wilson performance? I think that's the fair point, right? They're spending, they are going to get better, but is it going to be, you know, is the return on investment going to match, you know, what they did there? You know, look, when you get Walmart money coming in, you probably don't care to a degree. <laughs> uh, and, and so, you know. I'll that just, doesn't, like, Walmart money, is still, there's still a salary cap, you know? Yeah, there is, but Sean Payton came from a team that didn't really believe in the salary cap. Uh, and so maybe he's trying to push Denver to also not really believe in the salary cap. Uh, I mean, look, if you, like we talked about, if you want to fix Russell Wilson, the interesting thing to me is, they're going to run the football. I mean, they're going. He's going to come in and say, I know you want to let Russ cook and all that. I do not care. We are going to be a run-heavy play-action team, and you'll take your deep shots, but we're not going to be throwing the ball 35, 40 times a game. And I think at this point, Russ has probably been humbled that he'll accept that and go with it. Um, but I think that's the biggest signal, too. Sean Payton is saying, I, I don't care what you want to do. We're doing what I want to do. That, that's one thing, I think, that got missed in the whole let Russ cook idea, right? I think sometimes the, uh, the nerds, oversimplify things where it's like Russell Wilson, efficient passer, let him do it more often. And they're, they are missing the fact that he has always been a little protected, right? Until last year, basically, or until maybe the first half of 2020. There was a stretch where Russ was allowed to cook and it really, really worked. Um, but pre, uh, you know, prior to that, I think part of the reason why he was such an efficient passer was because Seattle did a good job of playing to his strengths. They did run play action and throw the ball down the field. We talked about this a lot on the podcast as we were reviewing games last year. It was like, man, maybe, maybe there was a reason why Seattle didn't let him throw the ball 35, 40, 45 times a game and run the offense through him. So yeah, among the million questions this offseason, will Sean Payton truly be a you know, run, play action, deep shot type of uh, play caller? And will Russell Wilson be able to get back to that? And the one you, the question you asked about Sean Payton, how much was he the driver for the Saints' aggressiveness? He's just aggressive dude, right? Yeah. Like, how much is he the driver for how George Payton and everybody's going to do business in Denver uh, going forward and maybe pushing cap down the road? That's an interesting data point. Is that this is starting to look like a, a Saints type of um, approach to? roster construction like they're going out there they've got cap room at the moment they're spending it they're they're attacking this like they can just do what the saints have done you know max out the credit card now to add some talent and deal with it down the line like we've i don't know we've had a clear answer as to who was driving that in new orleans but 
Denver is so far running that kind of playbook. Yeah, no, I think, look, obviously, you know, Mickey Loomis, the general manager, been there for a long time. Uh, I think Sean Payton was a driver, though. And I also think, frankly, Gail Benson, the owner, was a driver of, we want to put out a good product, win as many games as possible. At the end of the day, it does come down to the ownership that's willing to do it. Um, but yeah, I don't think Sean Payton heard the word no very often at his prior stop. And I'm sure going through this hiring process this offseason, talking to these teams, he said, hey, look, I, I want to do these things, you know, and, and we've seen in the first day of free agency, maybe the biggest spenders of the day. So the Broncos, you, you mentioned, Sam, basically offensive line-wise, I think they've crept back past, past average. They're at least average or better, I think, on the offensive line. I think they're in that boat. But they only have five draft picks now. And you know, you know the, the MO here of the PFF NFL podcast. We talk about every team from a team-building standpoint. Make sure that the offensive line is good enough. Make sure you've got the perimeter players to win, right? That, that you're going to elevate your offense through pass catchers. Does Denver have enough to do that? Because right now on paper they do, but if Cortland Sutton's on his way out, is that what gets them a draft pick back and then they have to start replenishing in the draft? Or is just the great Tim Patrick coming back enough? I mean, that's got to be a big part of it, Tim Patrick coming back. I think the other element is if they are shifting towards this sort of play-action, run-heavy type of offense because uh, they believe that's the way Russell Wilson is going to be at his best, they're probably changing the kind of personnel that you're going to see deployed. Like you don't need that many wide receivers because you're not going to be running 11 personnel that much. You're probably shifting to more towards more two tight end packages, you know, heavier formations, maybe two running back type of formations. You don't need that slot receiver necessarily. You're going to be using those outside guys. So maybe you can afford to ship away a guy like Cortland Sutton or Jerry Judy and roll with, you know, two of whoever you got remaining. Tim Patrick plus, you know, it's it's possible that they don't need as many wide receivers as they looked like they did a year ago. I will say the uh, the data points of having DK Metcalf though and uh, and Tyler Lockett looking strong in the favor of, and we always talk about this, right? Is the quarterback, is the receivers, and you know that there's there's uh, you know a balance there for who's creating the production. DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett were there for Geno Smith's breakout season that got him paid. Russ didn't have the same kind of success with uh, injuries in his receiving core, plus everything that was going on with Hackett. I would still do everything I can to make sure I've got legitimate deep threats. We know Sean Payton's always had that explosive wide receiver four type of player. So I think there's still more work to do on the perimeter by Denver. But overall, do we like the direction? Or is it just a question of, eh, they're just putting pieces in place. There's still still more work. Yeah, I mean, it's always a case of how much did it cost, right? Like, that's the thing of free agency. You can look at it, A, did you add players that will help the team? And then B, okay, but at what cost? So I think they've added players that will make this team better. That's not in question. My question is, how much does it cost? And how much is that moving the needle for you? So I think Denver right now look like they're overspending relative to what they've added to this team. Did we kick my heckler out of the chat here? You got a heckler? Yeah, you were you were referencing him. You were trying to start a poll. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I just I wanted the data. There's a lot of people saying I'm the goat in there. I could see those. I didn't those see should that. be bold. Yeah, people people <laughs> love me in there, except the one guy. Yeah, he's mad at me. Well, you know, you can't please everyone. You have a heckler too. Over. Uh, all oh, the time. Only one? You both only have one heckler? We have oh. one heckler. I guess that's pretty good. That's, that's a, under, under what I would have guessed, frankly. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> You're trying to say we should have more hecklers. No, I'm not saying you should. I just figured you, you probably would. I'm, uh, I'm sensitive. I don't like having hecklers. I will tell you, though, um, 
Brad, you might have to duck for a minute because the PFF NFL podcast is oh, sponsored yeah. by Western and Southern Financial Group. There you go. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow? Well, Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. All right, let's move on to the Bears. We talked about them a lot coming out of the weekend. Of course, they make the huge trade, move down to nine, pick up DJ Moore, all that, all the extra draft capital. We did a three-round mock draft for the Bears yesterday. So if you're a Bears fan and you missed yesterday's show, you got to go check it out. We did some work for you. And then they did some work yesterday in free agency. Another one of the teams we knew would need to be active. So they're bringing in a couple linebackers, TJ Edwards, uh, Tremaine Edmonds, two of the biggest linebacker names on the market after uh, trading Roquan Smith. Mm. They bring in Nate Davis to play guard, and then Demarcus Walker, another one of those interior defensive linemen, can play on the edge. He's kind of a tweener for three years, $21 million. Brad, you're pretty in tune with the Bears. What are your thoughts so far? Yeah, I think there's some great deals there. I think Edwards at that value is phenomenal. I like Nate Davis. It's three years, $30 million. I know the graphic. We didn't have the details at that point, but a good outside zone guard that I think makes sense at either spot. They might move on from Cody Whitehair. Tevin Jenkins was good last year, but hard to rely on him going forward, so I like that move a lot. Um, and then, yeah, you mentioned Demarcus Walker from Tennessee. Former second-round pick, kind of finally breaking out last year. Has that inside-outside flexibility. I think he'll be at, you know an edge on early downs, probably kick inside for pass rushing downs, um, and a good play I mean, 30 pressures in the last two seasons, uh, had some sack production last year that probably got him a nicer deal. So, you know, mix and match. Edmonds is obviously the big splash. You trade Roquan Smith and then still spend $18 million per year and a strong, you know, heavy cash flow, uh, $50 million guarantee contract there. So a great deal for him. I think in their mind to get the second round pick and then still add a player they view as a better fit. I think he'll play the will in Eberflus' defense. Look, they got better. There's no question they got better. My biggest thing, though, is – on the interior of that defensive line, if if on early downs, Demarcus Walker is on the outside. I don't care if you have, you know, the five best linebackers in NFL history, how bad their interior defensive line was, they're still going to get run on no matter what. So they, they got to do something there. Yeah, like, that's the thing. It They made a lot of talk. They made a lot of the idea of position value when they traded away Roquan Smith, right? And they were making, they were singing our singing from our hymn sheet. Like, they were making the right noises relative to what we've been saying, which is, look, a, a an off-the-ball linebacker is not where you want to invest the money in today's NFL, especially if the rest of the defense stinks because you just can't make the impact. Yeah. Like, he's Roquan Smith this past year is literally the evidence for why that is true. In Chicago, with a terrible offensive line in front of him, he looked like crap and was grading badly, goes to Baltimore where they have dramatically better situation all around him and all of a sudden looks much more like the all-pro linebacker that he's capable of being. Um so they were making all the right noises for why they did that. We don't want to pay this guy a ton of money. We want to fix everything else first. And then they just turn around and do it anyway with, with Tremaine Edmonds. Now, you're right. You can argue, okay, he's a better fit for this defense maybe, and we get the second-round pick uh, in addition to that. Fine. But it's not going to work because of the problems you were talking about. Like, yeah. the defensive line stinks. So... Tremaine Edmonds will not be able to do what he's capable of doing within that defense unless you massively overhaul that defensive line. And yes, the draft is still coming. Like, they can still do some work there. Demarcus Walker, I think, is a, an addition that will help. But, like, instead of the four-year $72 million for Tremaine Edmonds, you had the most cap room in the NFL. Like, you were the team 
that should have gone out and prioritized a Javon Hargrave, like a guy that can really move the needle on the interior or up front, like whoever that is, not spending that money on the front four somewhere to me is is a goof. It's it's early, man. It's like just because the order that they do something doesn't mean that they neglected it. They could have been in on Hargrave and Zach Allen and all of those guys that signed yesterday. Right. They just happened to hit on the, the linebackers. Yeah, but they, they had – I mean, there's no point being in on them and not getting them. Like, this is a team that had the money more than anybody else and actually needed those upgrades. There's still time. I mean, I think not, – But not, there's, I no think time, there's no Hargrave left. Like, you can't say there's still time. We can still add a body. They don't need bodies. They need massive upgrades. But look, listen. This, it's still a multi-year rebuild. You are not literally going to solve every problem in a weekend, right? They just – they traded down. They accumulated the draft picks. We have looked at the Jets' rebuild. We have looked at, say, the Bills' rebuild with Josh Allen. And it took steps. The Bills went offensive line first. We got that into a good place. We started to get better at receiver. By year three, they were there. The, the Jets, it was a similar thing. They went the other way. They said, trenches first. We're going to get the Carl Lawsons of the world. We're going to make sure we're loaded up there. And then they finally got their cornerbacks. And they got Sauce Gardner and DJ Reed last year. It's okay. He's it's a multi-year rebuild. They'll get to the defensive line at some point, whether it's not, even if it's not this year, I and I think it will be in the draft, this is a multi-year deal, man. I mean, you've only signed Edmonds for four years. How many years can this take before you've just burned the contract he was on and what? haven't got there? It's year one. Yes, he's got four years. So by year two, there's going to be more movement on the defensive line. Right, but he... It's day one of free agency. <laughs> there's still time. Yeah, but they need literally the entire defensive line. There isn't a single player that was on Chicago's defensive line before yesterday that can actually earn significant snaps for them and be a plus player. So they added one in Demarcus Walker, right? Now you just have six to go. Like, this was not a team that could afford to go, you know what, let's kick it down the line. We still have the draft. We can still add a low-level body. There's always next year. Like, they need it now. So I'll say this. I heard that they got scared away by the three technique prices, which did go kind of crazy. I agree sure. with you. If you're going to make a big expenditure, maybe that should be where you are willing to go beyond your parameters. But I heard that kind of, you know, they, they were off put by how big those deals got. And they might now transition to going more after kind of one technique guys or guys that can just stop the run. And then I do think that ninth overall, you're maybe looking at adding that player. Uh, there still are a lot of guys available. They had a deal fall through with Larry Ogunjobi last year, but maybe if the bridge is not burned there, they go back to the well there. Um, you know, if you want to go true just stop the run get an Ashawn robinson type player a good early down guy but i mean i hear you morgan uh morgan fox uh demarcus walker i don't think he's ever played 500 snaps in a season so he's a good player good, I'm, good I'm rotational guy but you know i'm with the bears on that though i don't want to be the team that's overpaying like the the, the browns just paid a ton of money for dalvin tomlinson out yeah. of desperation because they're they've been gashed against the run and, and i get it for them the Bears don't need to be great up front next year i'm still looking at a multi-year rebuild and, and even put that aside I don't want to play in that market of Zach Allen and Demarcus Walker making a ton of money and Shy Tuttle and all of these interior defensive linemen. I think there's a better path for that. There's a, there's a decent crop of first and second round interior defensive linemen that they can go. Jalen Carter could fall to them to, at nine, depending on how things go with, uh, with the legal system. 
I'm, I'm patient if I'm the Bears, and I'm fine with it. I have, I have other questions about the linebacker moves besides, like, they neglected the defensive line. We can get that to that in a minute. But. I mean, the Bear, or the Browns, rather, committed slightly more money to two players, Akaronquo and Dalvin Tomlinson, than the Bears committed to Tremaine Edmonds on his own, and that would have had a bigger impact. That, I, that part I agree. I can agree with that. I like, I like the Browns taking those two players for the price of one. My question, Brad, this comes up a lot when you're projecting contracts and all that stuff. T.J. Edwards, by our number, if you trust our numbers, T.J. Edwards has been a more productive linebacker than Tremaine Edmonds. Now, I know the NFL, you know, NFL people would not agree with that, right? Because they're still looking at T.J. Edwards. He's slow. What do you run, like 4.8-something, 4.9 at the combine, right? He's slow. He's unathletic. Tremaine Edmonds is long and athletic, and he's all this. By our numbers, Edmonds has been less productive until last year. Yes. Less productive. Which is important. Than T.J. Edwards, right? But... Which is fine, right? If you want to say they're worth the same or whatever it is. But Edmonds is making three times what TJ Edwards is making. That's the that's the question I have, right? Once you get to the NFL, production should be the most important thing and what you're going to be doing going forward. I have a lot of – I love the TJ Edwards deal at $6.5 per year and the Edmonds deal at 18. It's like, eh. The big thing here is, and look, you know, I think our projections are doing fairly well. Not very good at off-ball linebacker on some of these deals. I was way higher on Edwards. And the big thing there, I think, is not trusting him on third downs, not trusting him in coverage. And, and yes, his coverage grade looks good. That's because he played a ton of zone. And honestly, I think Kaiser White probably had more of the difficult responsibilities as a cover player. So I think that's where that's coming from. Whereas for the, in their mind with Edmonds, you can maybe shift back to playing more cover, too, with Matt Eberflus. And he can be that guy at the will that can, you know, really, like, you run up the alley. Take things over the middle of the field, carry number three receivers. He's six foot five, but he runs well, all those things. So I think that is where the massive disparity comes in those paydays. Like, I hear you, I'm not arguing with you. Um, Edwards isn't old either, 27 years old, I think, next year. So, but, but I think that is the big thing is the coverage ability. Um, they think Edmonds could be, you know, one of the better cover linebackers in the NFL going forward. No, that's fair. I get it. I mean, you can definitely I understand. You can ask Edmonds to do things that you simply couldn't ask TJ Edwards to do. Now, yeah. whether he'll do them, well, every time is a different question, but the fact that there are assignments on the table for Edmonds that are not there for TJ Edwards is a factor. Um, they're also, you know, obviously going to play different positions in the same defense. So sure, it's not I get like, it. It's not exactly like for like. And I think the point of last year, Edmonds was legit, is a relevant one. Like that's a, a big part. Like when you look at Edmonds heading into this free agent period, he's the classic sort of perfect free agent. He's hitting the second contract. He still isn't even 25 yet. He's 6'5", 250, runs a 4'5". Like, he is the prototype that everybody wants from their linebacker if you get the guy that played last year again. Like, if you get that guy going forward, which a lot of teams will be convincing themselves is entirely the case, you know, it just took him a while to work it out. The light went on. This is the guy now. Then he's, he's exactly the type of linebacker that should be getting top-of-the-market money. He should be one of the top free agents available any given year. With Ed, Edwards, it's a slightly different conversation because you're like, well, he doesn't have the size, doesn't have the speed. He's had to do it the hard way. He's kind of grinding. He's tapped out. Like, that's as good as he's ever going to get. So I get why there's a big disparity, but I do believe that you're probably ending up saying – Edwards is going to look like a steal for that money, and right. Edmonds probably is going to look like you overpaid for that money. All right, just to reset the Bears, because we've talked a lot about what they don't have on the defensive line. Just the reason why we're saying they have nothing there is because here are their projected starters. Travis Gibson, 
Dominique Robinson. Couple you know, Robinson was he flashed flashed in what like week week one yeah, as week a one. rookie last year. It's like yep. oh they found a steal. He ends up with a forty five point nine grade and preseason last year in the preseason. Um, Justin Jones at defensive tackle. That trio Gibson Robinson Jones all graded in the forties last year. They bring in Terrell Lewis, Jerry Green, Jalen Holmes. Like all of those guys are sixth or seventh defensive linemen on in an eight man rotation yeah. basically. So that is where the Bears are. So going forward. The rest of free agency, as I think, as they cherry pick the what's remaining on the defensive line, anything that they cherry pick is an upgrade over what they have. And of course, they bring in Demarcus Walker too. But they're going to have to upgrade there, and I think you know draft heavy on the defensive line for the Bears. Yeah, and the thing is, it's both both facets. They had the worst uh, pressure rate in the NFL as a defense, twenty point three percent. The next team was twenty two point nine. That was Atlanta, and then everybody else was above twenty five. So those two were like off the charts at the bottom end of the scale relative to everybody else. And at the other end, you've got Philadelphia and Dallas above 40%. So they're basically generating half the pressure that the top teams in the NFL are generating. Then you have the run defense as well. So like, you know, you can argue, should they have thrown that kind of money at a guy like Javon Hargrave, who's been very one-dimensional the last couple of years? He's been an elite pass rusher and bad against the run. And even if he was that guy again for Chicago, you're like, well, you need help everywhere. Like, you need help on both sides of it, run defense and pass rush, but you need the bodies. You need something. Like, now their defensive line is still the worst in the NFL, and they've added linebackers who are going to have a nightmare of a job until they get upgrades in front of them. You know, there's, there's still time for it. There is still time. There are it, it is a deep time, but there aren't necessarily the bodies. <laughs> I'll throw this one at you. All right. Two interior defensive linemen, three technique type guys, um, arguably even three, four defensive ends. All right. One had 45 pressures, a 65 pass rush grade last year, and seven sacks. Another guy had a 70.6 pass rush grade, 40 total pressures, seven sacks. One already signed for three years, 51 million in Draymond Jones. The second is Morgan Fox with the Los Angeles Chargers last year. Under the radar guy, similar production, similar type of player. Like there are still some guys out there that I think you get for way less money that have been similar players at least you know last year yeah i think that's i mean that's that's the weird part about the the d tackle market called the d tackle market right there are i think there are still some some steals maybe to be out there i'll come around entirely if they sign matt ionitis <laughs> matt ionitis is one of those guys sheldon rankins is i think he's he's probably looking around being like i see what my old teammate david on got i yep. see you know the jets want me back but probably not for enough and um the market is going crazy there so Puna, Fo- Puna Ford, interesting. Puna Ford is a yeah. he, he wasn't great last year against the run, but he's a he is that like squatty run plugger type. Did Greg Gaines sign anywhere? Did I not miss? yet? No. Okay, Greg Gaines. Yep. You know, if you're just looking for those cheaper, hopefully, you know, if you're the Bears, cheaper run plugging types, those guys do still exist out there. Or you just bring in Dominican Sue. Or you just bring in Dom Kinsu. Like everybody does. I don't know if he's going to want to go to Chicago. I don't at think this so. Point in his career, maybe in a couple of years for Sue. Um, so anyway, what you should do is go get to the mock draft simulator, uh, pff.com. Get to the mock draft simulator and send your Bears mock drafts at PFF NFL Pod. You know, send us, send us your tweets with what you're going to do in the trenches and prove to Sam and Brad to a point, prove that the offseason is not over. You can just draft four defensive linemen with your first four picks. Hmm. And all will be Which fine. Which they might do. <laughs> Which they actually might do. Right? They are... They are due to go that route. So go check out the uh, the mock draft sim to go fix the Bears. 
All right, let's go Atlanta Falcons here. Another team that was extremely active on day one. Um, we'll, uh, is it, by the way, before we start with the Falcons, any other breaking news, any uh, signings since we've been live here? Nothing yet. I don't know if we talked about Jacoby Myers. That was right before we got on. The first wide receiver domino, but nothing else since then. I want to I get to the Raiders after the Falcons because with Jimmy Garoppolo coming in and Jacoby and what they're doing there, it is interesting. But the, the Falcons, another team that had a ton of money, they kicked off their free agency by giving guard Chris Lindstrom a record deal. Five years, $105 million. Lindstrom, the highest rated guard last year. Absolute incredible season as a run blocker in a, in a system in Atlanta where they were running like crazy last year. They, they go all out for Jesse Bates at safety. So the Bengals ended up losing both safeties to the NFC South yesterday. So Jesse Bates and Chris Lindstrom, the biggest moves, they bring in David Onyemata for over $8 million per year on the defensive interior. They bring back Lorenzo Carter. Um, and they also acquired uh, Jonu Smith from the Patriots, the tight end who... Uh, gets reunited with Arthur Smith, former Titans offensive coordinator, and they also signed Caden Ellis, the hybrid edge linebacker, for over $7 million per year for three years. Active day for the Falcons. Yeah, and, and Brad described this as essentially signing anybody that had any connection with their uh, current coaching staff. So, yeah, definitely. They were, what, second in terms of cap space available yep. heading into the day just behind Chicago and definitely appear to be making use of it. 100%. And like you said, a lot of, you know, reunions, but I like the Animata deal. It's actually three years, 35. Uh, but still, a solid deal for, we're talking about that market that's exploding. Caden Ellis, I think, might be the most fascinating signing of the entire offseason, depending how things work out. Hadn't played more than 200 snaps in his career before last season. Plays about 600 after Pete Werner gets hurt. Is a hybrid, like Sam linebacker, edge rushing, can play off ball. Graded well in every facet for us last year. Um, had 20 pressures and I think seven sacks on 100 pass rush snaps. Um, a very, very intriguing player gets a strong deal at seven million per year again a reunion with you know former coach and ryan nielsen but you know i like the lorenzo carter deal i think lindstrom deserved that top of market money um you know they know what they want to do they want to run the football they got to get a lot better on defense and i think they will when they traded for john U. smith who by the way he went from sneaky valuable underrated tight end in tennessee where it's like here's this receipt like receiver type of body that tennessee's tapping into and then he goes to New England, makes over $10 million a year as a free agent with Hunter Henry, and, it, and it's like, wow, this is, New England's going to rebuild their offense through, via the tight end, and Hunter Henry's your old-school Y, and Jonu Smith's your move tight end, and then all of a sudden Jonu became one of the – he just ran block. You know, he's a run blocker more than ever in his career, and they never really tapped into his skill set. And now he's reunited with Arthur Smith in Atlanta – where they still have Kyle Pitts, who they spent the number four overall pick. Where does Kyle Pitts fit into this whole equation in Atlanta? So, I mean, I tweeted yesterday that, you know, if I'm a random team with with a help or a need at pass catching, I would at least call Atlanta, you know? I'd be like, yeah. hey. You guys still in on Pitts, right. you know? Just, just call, just have a conversation, find out, you know, where they are on the whole thing. And maybe they'll say, you know, get, get stuff. We think Kyle Pitts is going to be a superstar still. Fine. I would at least have the conversation. Um, I don't know that the John O. Smith thing necessarily indicates anything about Kyle Pitts. That being said, there's a, a mounting body of evidence that suggests they don't necessarily love Kyle Pitts, you know, based off how he's been deployed, based off drafting uh, Drake London the year after, based off a lot of things. So it's an interesting mix that I would at least explore if I'm another team. But... Whether or not Kyle Pitts is going to be a tight end or an X receiver for them or wherever he lines up in the formation, 
John o. Smith, there, there are snaps there for a number two tight end. Now, he's not, he's, a, he's an unusual number two tight end because typically that guy is like your blocking specialist, whereas John o. Smith is more, you know, auxiliary pass catcher, run after the catch kind of dynamic player. But like last year, Parker Hesse played over 600 snaps for them at tight end. Uh, Michael Pruitt played 300 plus. Kyle Pitts with his 400 plus, like obviously before he got injured, they have space for a ton of snaps for a second guy that doesn't need to take anything away from Kyle Pitts. No, he's going to be that H-back type, right? He, it's going to be a different role than what Kyle Pitts is going to do. I think that he probably wants to play a more X receiver or just line up out wide. He obviously can line up in, in line. But, yeah, I don't, I don't view him and Johnny as the similar, same position. Right. Really. Yeah, anyway, it's going to be interesting there with Atlanta. The, the Caden Ellis analysis that you brought to the table, he came, when he came out of Idaho, he is, as you described, that, that edge, you know, pass rusher, linebacker hybrid. They are pretty coveted around the NFL. I think a, a Kyle Van Noy type. Um, it's a very, very light version of Micah Parsons. It's, I don't even want <laughs> right, to right. put them in the same boat. Anthony Barr-ish. Anthony type. Barr type. It's really not even Micah Parsons because Micah Parsons is like a Mike and Edge, and that, yeah, that yeah. actually doesn't exist. Um, Akeem Ayers back in the day. I, I have a soft spot for these types of players. And apparently Frankie Luvu. Frankie Luvu. There's yeah, a handful yeah. of these players around the NFL. It is, it is really interesting when you do want to um, tap into that versatility, right? You have to be in the right scheme and – Ellis is an interesting signing because, again, it was, it was another one-year breakout type and probably not on the radar for a lot of teams, but valued you know, by people that know him. Yeah, I guess I would say it's interesting, too. Sometimes we react to these deals, and, and we're trying to just look at all we know, which is the body of work. Ryan Nielsen, the new Falcons defensive coordinator, has been coaching this guy as his position coach for four years, right? So it's also like you see Andre Dillard get three years, $29 million from Tennessee, basically the same deal Nate Davis got, who the Titans had for four years as a starter. Dillard stuck behind, you know, probably the best offensive line in football in Philadelphia, but we don't know what these guys look like in practice and what people are hearing. And yes, sometimes you just get caught behind really good players. New Orleans had a good player in Pete Werner, obviously DeMario Davis. Again, obviously he's different, but they had a bunch of other Sam type guys too. I'm not blanking on his name. The guy from Wisconsin, they had in New Orleans for a while as well. Like, Sometimes you don't know the development of these guys and what they're doing behind the scenes. Um, you know, not justifying spending a ton of money, but he could be a great player for all we know. Let me, let me ask you both a question. Um, the chat's talking about this a little bit as well, but Atlanta was one of those teams that immediately came out like five seconds after the Lamar Jackson franchise tag thing happened and we're, we're not in, we're out. We're not involved in the Lamar Jackson thing. And yet to everybody else on the outside looking in, you're like, this is easily the best landing spot for Lamar Jackson. Him in an offense that's already designed to run in a similar fashion to the way the Baltimore one is run. Um, now they're, you know, they're re-upping guard Chris Lindstrom. They're sort of designing this offense in a way that doesn't necessarily it, – it, it indicates a continuation anyway of the sort of style that they've gone on. Real quick, though, they did spend a lot of money for Taylor Heineke. Backup sure. type of money, you know, different type of player. But, right. you know, they did bring in Heineke at quarterback. But not a guy that you would say, like – there are players where you would bring in as a backup that would indicate like a completely different style of offense. Like if he comes in, we cannot run this offense. Taylor Heineke is not that type of player. Like he's mobile enough. He's athletic enough. Like obviously you're not running the Lamar Jackson offense with Taylor Heineke, but you don't have to pivot to like a completely different, you know, immobile pocket passer or situation with him. Anyway, my point being, are Atlanta a team that is still plausibly going to circle back around to this Lamar Jackson thing on the quiet and maybe actually be involved in that and the the initial no no 
we're not involved was just you know let's let's get that out of the way before we actually dive in here it's a super fair question i mean they are like you said they make so much sense from a, a fit and standpoint and how they would utilize they clearly want to run the ball and, and zag when everyone else is zigging and just be a different type of team in today's nfl you know caleb mcgarry has not signed anywhere else yet you'd imagine part of that is because maybe atlanta's trying to get something done there and at that point it's like all right we're just gonna run and more than anybody else in the nfl why not go after a lamar jackson type player he'd have the best receivers he's ever had uh, by a decent margin at this point you know Kyle Pitts healthy and obviously Drake London. So, you know, I, it's possible. It, they're picking at eight in the draft. I don't think they'll get one of the top four guys if they stay at eight. Right. Um, and the thing there, which is interesting, yes, they came out and said that if you sign Lamar Jackson to an offer sheet after the draft, you would give up your next two drafts picks. And they're probably thinking, we don't want to give eighth overall to Baltimore, but right. we think we're going to be picking hopefully 20th next year, and we'll we'll give those picks away. So it's, it's worth kind of keeping an eye on for sure. Is that really the the crux of the we're out on him by Carolina at the time and Atlanta and teams that are picking in the top 10 saying we would do it after the draft. Um, Atlanta could easily sell the facts that like, sure, we're giving Desmond Ritter another year and we brought in Taylor Heineke to be his backup. Of course, that's what we're doing. You pick at eight, they're going to get one of the best non-quarterbacks in the draft this year at eight, maybe the maybe a top three player uh, non-quarterback. And then for next year, I mean, after the draft, it's like, okay, now we're in. And that also gets around this problem, which I think might be the biggest stumbling block for everybody, which is having to sit there with that contract on the books for a week until Baltimore matches during free agency. Like, you can't, you can't essentially craft a contract that Baltimore can't match and then have that sitting there and, you know, taking up your entire cap, essentially, without you being able to do anything for this week, only for them to turn around and either get him or not get him. But, like, after the draft, that's a totally different problem. Now you can figure out how to make that work, and you don't have to... You've already done the free agent business that that would be chewing up for a week. So teams like Atlanta, like, and signing a Taylor Heineke, okay, that might not be the best contingency in the world, but, like, if they swing after the draft they don't get a quarterback in the draft either they're not interested or they don't get them they don't get the lamar thing done after the draft you're like all right we can we're okay going into this year with desmond ritter and taylor heineke as the qb room no it's a great point they couldn't spend and they knew they needed to spend um if they had that massive you know right. number on the books i mean just to, just to share this beckett mesco shout out in one of the social chat the ravens he thinks are the only team that have not Resigned or signed a player in all of free agency yet. Oh. Uh, so there you go. I mean, they have a $32.5 million you know, cap hit for Lamar Jackson right now on the books. They obviously have a lot of big contracts otherwise. They, they released Calais Campbell. Exactly. Yeah. It's a clear $7 million there and have not made a move all, you know, yet. So, um, By the way, too, I, I don't want to completely just look at last year in Arthur Smith's offense in Atlanta last season and say this is what they are. Sure. I think he played to what their strengths were, which is Marcus Mariota was the quarterback. But that, yeah, but that was just an extreme version of like it, stylistically, it's been the same all the way along. Like this was a extreme iteration of what we'd seen in Tennessee. You know, it's it's but of in a Tennessee. Style. It was it was run heavy, but with play action, and, and Tannehill still threw the ball. Yeah. Enough in Tennessee with Arthur Smith. It was just a, it was a play action heavy right. system. But that's what I'm saying. It's just an extreme version of what we saw all along. Like even back at the time there was talk about how much Ryan Tannehill was being propped up by this play-action, run-heavy type of offense. And you know what I mean? So it's, yeah, it's not like, in an ideal world, he probably doesn't want to run the ball literally more than he passes it. You know, be the only team in the NFL that calls a run play more than 50% of the time on offense. I would imagine his ideal balance is still somewhere tilted towards 
the run, just not that extreme. All right, Atlanta uh, still has Caleb McGarry, the free agent, right tackle uh, out there. I mean, he was he was good in their system from a run game perspective, but again, Atlanta and Chicago, both teams really protected the, their offensive line as far as pass protection goes. I don't know if he's coming back. So there's still some work to do there. Um, if they don't go quarterback at eight, they're very much in the mix to maybe you know grab a tackle the, in, the, in the top ten there. The one more question I have about Atlanta um, is – what do you make of their approach to uh, position value? So, you know, I was critical of Chicago for this, prioritizing off-the-ball linebacker relative to defensive line. You look at the positions that Atlanta prioritized, it's a lot of what you would term typically not high-value positions. They've thrown, a, thrown the bag at a safety, Jesse Bates. They threw a ton of money re-signing Chris Lindstrom, their guard. They grab Caden Ellis, you know, technically an off-the-ball linebacker, albeit a sort of hybrid type of player. Generally, I mean, where I differ here is that I think they need everything on defense. So, sure, you can argue that you should start in a, in a specific area, but it's not like one massive area of need in the defensive line in Chicago, and then, you know, you can fiddle around with where you're going to deploy the money after that. Like, literally every single position on defense needed an upgrade for Atlanta. So I think that differentiates it for me. I think they're doing the thing that you didn't love from Jacksonville last Just year. get good players? Yeah. Upgrade across the board. Now, you can argue if... Like, I, I think the Bengals played the Jesse Bates game properly, which was they're, they were never going to be able to afford him. You get the extra year out of him with the tag, and eventually he's going to walk, and you get your comp pick and all that stuff. I think, it, I think Cincinnati was right to not make the investment in Jesse Bates. Atlanta is in a different spot where they needed to spend and maybe overspend on safety a little bit. But I really think they were just like, we need safeties. Let's get one. We need some kind of edge rusher. That's Caden Ellis. We need to have some other kind of playmaker next to Grady Jarrett on the defensive line. There's David Onyemata. And Chris Lindstrom, they have him in the building. They have him in their system. That was just, we're going to reward our own with a market-setting contract, but we're going to reward our own even if he's a guard. So I think it was a combination of we're just we're hitting these positions because that's what we need, or we're just going to re-sign our own, and, and, and that's how we're building. Their defense is intriguing to me. I mean, second-round picks last year, and Arnold Abichetti and Troy Anderson as well. So yep. you have a legit front seven now, which they've struggled to have the last couple of years. Um, the back end, if you get Casey Hayward healthy, um, obviously you have other good corners in the team already, um, and, and A.J. Terrell. And then, yeah, I mean, Bates, the big splash signing there. I mean, they could go from one of the worst defenses in the NFL to at least you know top half of the league. We appreciate everybody that's watching live here on YouTube trying to set records here. So everybody show up. It's almost like it's a draft night type of crowd here on YouTube. We appreciate everybody joining us because we're here uh, We're here all day. What is I our mean, record? Uh, all week. What is our record, you know? I mean, draft night, we were probably 3,000, 4,000. I mean, uh, our, our podcast-wise, we had. Yeah, I mean, I we were probably close to 3,000 for the podcast. Of course, the live draft show is a whole different world. Right. We were up at 15 or something like that. But. Um, this is up there for, uh, for a non-draft night. So we appreciate everybody being a part of history here, as in uh, watching us live on YouTube. I'm sure you care quite a bit. You really, you pushed that off. You went from zero to 100 there. Just a part of history. Yeah, it's yeah. historic. It's a little, we keep track a little of grandiose, stuff. but okay. I mean, we lost like 68 people since I, since I brought since it up. Since talking about it, yeah. good work. Yeah, and there's 100. They're all gone. <laughs> Where'd everybody go? Yeah, hit the thumbs up and subscribe and get all your, uh, get all your updates because we're going to be doing some, some live reaction. We may have already uh, filmed our Aaron Rodgers reaction. It may already be ready to go. Like a day ago, yeah. Yeah. If he retires, like, it was a great video. Just, just you know, it was let's phenomenal. Let's put it out there anyway. Yeah. <laughs>
It's like, you know, it's like sending the Eagles championship gear. Right. Know, out there. Put right. it out we there. We just get sent off to some third world country now that they didn't win. Somebody needs the Aaron Rodgers so, video. Look, look, let's, what the hell is Aaron Rodgers doing? This was, and by the way, how much on the seat of his, or on the edge of his seat is Trey Wingo hoping that this all works out? Trey Wingo is the guy tweeting out, it's done. Rodgers going to the Jets. Every other insider is like, ooh, no, Trey, not so much. Trey was very confident when people were saying nobody knows. Oh, no, no, no. People were saying the Packers and Jets know. Yeah. They just won't tell anybody. And Trey was adamant yesterday morning that nobody knows. I could tell you for a fact the Jets don't know. Right. And then five hours later, done. it's a done deal for the Jets. So mm-hmm. Trey's... You know, Trey's got a, at least one good connection and that, there. You know, that was picked up by a couple of people. And then, you know, you've got Garrett Wilson tweeting out, like, being suckered in by the, what's that guy's name? Dove, whatever his Dove, name yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. Suckered in by that. No going, oh, my bad. I thought it was done. So, Garrett Trey, Wilson's just one of us looking for right. Twitter. Who's, who's the quarterback? Exactly. Be? So, Trey Wingo started this whole thing. And then now here we are almost 24 hours later and still nothing. I mean, he's also one of like a half dozen reporters that have now said, like, I think it's about to get done, and then it has not. I do think, though, he hasn't signed yet officially, but the Alan Lazard you know, report coming out that him and the Jets are in advanced conversations, look, that is, that is an Aaron Rodgers fingerprint move. I think he actually is a good fit as, you know, you're blocking, you're a big outside guy that, you know, goes along with Garrett Wilson and Elijah Moore, a shifty, speedy guys, but that to me is, is a, hey, Aaron, we're bringing your friends aboard. I'm sure they'll give Randall Cobb a nice little deal to come along as well. Um, you know, that, that to me is, is yet another signal in the saga that is the, the courtship of Aaron Rodgers. Is that, is that the Jets? Like the Jets, you know, they, they've had conversations with Aaron Rodgers directly. Was it like, okay, we've stopped talking. We think we've done all we can. Quick, send it out to the media that we're bringing in Lazard. You know, just put it out there. This is like, they're, they're extending their olive branch because it's, it's uh, desperation time. Yeah, we'll bring in Lazard. Yes, uh, the thing is, they are they are pigeonholed. I thought there was actually you know a good segment this morning with Mike Tannenbaum, kind of talking about the same scenario with Brett Favre, and he was saying, look, I'm not going to say we were desperate, but because we had Chad Pennington, like we had another option. Where again, you know, a solid player, a guy who'd made the playoffs. The Jets have no other option right now. Even they lost Mike White, he's in Miami. Like they really don't. So that's the thing is, you know, not that Rodgers wants to leverage them to do all these things, but he also might want to leverage them to do all these things. He's got a lot of leverage. <laughs> so, yeah. like, What if he just retires? Here's the thing. So Rodgers came out and straight sort of said he wasn't going to jerk everybody around. And yet here we are 24 hours into it. It feels a lot like he's jerking everybody around. I mean, it, how plausible do you think the idea is that everybody started off saying yesterday before uh, Trey Wingo was so adamant to the contrary, how likely is it that the Packers and the Jets are very much in the loop about – what is really happening and he's waiting for you know McAfee show or whatever to drop the actual news I think it's entirely possible he wants to do it on his own terms we know that about him um, you know wants to put it out there the way he wants to put it out there but I also do think he probably is saying like if I sign the dotted line they aren't going to feel as inclined to do these things bring aboard my friends that's mattered to him he's he's you know pushed them to trade for Randall Cobb in Green Bay I made that joke but I wouldn't be surprised if he is a New York <laughs> Jet uh, and honestly he's fine for, for a cheap flyer but I think that's part of it too he knows he can do these things can flex a little bit the Jets have the flexibility to make some smaller moves Lazard's more like a mid-tier move I think he'll get 10-11 million per year but yeah I think he knows he can do that and so he's going to also by the way so because of this remember technically we're still like 24 hours away from free agency opening like this is the legal tampering period so you sort of everyone acts like well the Jets are held hostage while this Rogers thing is going on they can't do anything else because they're waiting on this 
is that actually true? Like, surely the Jets could essentially just get deals done with other people because you're not bound to them until tomorrow when presumably Rodgers will tell you whether or not this is happening uh, you, or not. You don't want to back out of a, an agreement. Like, I hear you're saying where it's like technically it's not official. If you do, that would not go over very well, but actually very funny timing for Adam Schefter. The Jets are closing in on a deal with Lazard <laughs> and expected to be on their radar as Randall Cobb. Yeah, so I my, saw, my, my joke just turned into report. reality. Yeah. yeah I, <laughs> and look, it... It is funny because it's like, well, here's this mediocre Packers offense from last year let's coming re- over. Let's replicate it. But it, that, that was where my, where my head went first. But the difference is Garrett Wilson is in New York yes. right now. And Garrett Wilson with Aaron Rodgers oh. probably looks like Devontae Adams. That is the difference. Alan Lazard is a good By the 2. Way, 5 receiver, yeah. right, for Aaron Rodgers. In the you remember the the my mo right? What am I rooting for all the time? The funniest possible outcome, right? How hilarious would it be if Rogers essentially gets the Jets to sign all his old buddies? I need Alan Lazard. I need Randall Cobb. You know, I need Jake Kumaro, Robert Tunyon. He's probably out there kicking. Oh, yeah, I need Bob. all these guys signed in. <laughs> and then on McAfee, he's just like, actually, I'm retiring. Yeah. See ya. Yeah. And the Jets are stuck with all these guys for no purpose. That's what you're with no for. quarterback. And Rogers is gone. Just helping out his friends. That I just be, got my friends some deals yeah, yeah. I on just, my way out. On the way out the door, I got all my buddies a new gig with the Jets. See ya. Meanwhile, Brady brings Gronk and Tell Antonio me that wouldn't Brown. be funny. It'd be amazing. I, I think there's a non-zero chance that it happens. <laughs> that would be doing Jeopardy. I can't bring Alan Lazard to Jeopardy. There's no role for him there, but I can get him wide receiver three they're gig not, with the Jets. They're not going to buy that this guy is a good you know, Jeopardy research assistant. I'm going to have to get him a job with the Jets before I leave. Also, I guess we should just mention now with both of those receivers potentially going to New York, um, you know, we talk a lot about throwing money at guys. This is free agency. The Jets a couple years ago were very smart to, in the structure of Corey Davis's deal, which it seems like he's probably going to be cut, six figures in dead cap because the way they structured that contract didn't have a heavy signing bonus and, and loaded that in that manner. You know, they were smart in how they got here and they're able to do these things like bring in Aaron Rodgers and all of his friends. But hey, interesting, you know, name to hit the market in Corey Davis with how bad this wide receiver market is, maybe he gets a decent little deal elsewhere. Yeah, Corey, I want to hit on that really quick before we get to the Raiders. We did promise some some Raiders analysis. But two years ago, it was Corey Davis and Carl Lawson where it felt like the Jets overpaid just a little bit. And I think we always remind ourselves, don't overreact to the numbers, look at the structure and right. all that stuff. In that structure, they basically front-loaded ro- front both deals yep. when, when they had money. And the dead cap for Corey Davis, as you said, is you said six figures. I mean, it's basically zero in this in this world, right? right? Corey Davis is basically zero. Carl Lawson is basically zero if they wanted to get out of him. I love that, right? I mean, I just love that from a, we're going to get two years out of these players, yes. even if it looks high at the time, because $12.5 million per year for Corey Davis at the time looked crazy for a wide receiver too, which is what he is. But now it also it doesn't look crazy, and they're able to move on pretty quickly. That's why we're receiving three money now. <laughs> it is. And... <laughs> Look, I think because Garrett Wilson is there as a stud, I think that is um, yeah. it's a good foundation if Lazard and, and Cobb are on the way to go with Aaron Rodgers. But, I mean, the bottom line here, though, is the Jets need this. Like, if they don't get Aaron Rodgers, they're already kind of screwed. There's, what well, is the quarterback option now? In addition to the Bills are already the juggernaut in that division, no matter how the season ended last year. The Dolphins are getting better and better, bringing in Jalen Ramsey and what they did last year with Tyreek Hill in that pass game. Uh, New England's always going to be lurking and tough, and the Jets, you know, do, they're battling just to get Rodgers. Do the, if the Jets, so if this all collapses and doesn't happen, though it doesn't sound like it's going to, 
do the Jets immediately pivot to Lamar Jackson as the only alternative option available? They're an interesting one, too. They're picking 13th. Do they want to give up that pick or, again, wait until the draft? But also, can you wait until the draft? Right. And there's like Jacoby Brissett's. There, there are guys out there that can start games for you. But I think it's more of, look, Joe Douglas, I want to say, is going into his either third or fourth season now. Robert Sala going into his third season, I believe. Like, you know, they, they were better last year, but can they afford to strike out of the quarterback position and, and go in with a journeyman and Zach Wilson, or are they going to panic and, yeah, start calling start calling about Kirk Cousins in Minnesota, like start making some real panic moves if things do fall apart? I mean, the chat suggesting trading for Tannehill and all this stuff, it is what a fascinating world when you don't have a quarterback, right? The Saints are rolling out the red carpet for Derek Carr, who got booted from the Raiders. Would the Jets be rolling out the red carpet for a Ryan Tannehill who's, you know, he's good. You he's know, solid. These guys are right. good. I mean, the cousins and Tannehills and cars of the world, uh, just like Jared Goff and Carson Wentz, the same people that teams that think they're on the cusp are booting out the door. Other teams think that they're going to, you know, be their guy to get them to the playoffs and beyond. It's just such a fascinating difference in valuing the, the, the mid-tier quarterback. This is why Daniel Jones gets $40 million a year. I mean, like, I'm not making a joke. Like, we wonder, like, how – because the fear of not having an answer there is scarier than giving a guy more money than, he, than he's worth. That's what it is. And we, we're very comfortable in this seat with right. that fear because it's not – it's definitely not my job on the line. I would, I would want to see what's, you know, well, it's also, what's in the mystery box versus the right. known commodity of Daniel Jones. But teams are comfortable with what they know. I mean, I would as well, but I think – the timing of that matters. Like, if you know in advance that you are going to be in this situation where you don't really have a good answer at quarterback, you can make a move that I think is adequate. But the longer you leave it, the more of those moves are off the table and you suddenly get boxed into this very tight corner where there aren't many of those guys available. Like, Jameis Winston is re-signing to be the backup in New Orleans. Jameis Winston could start games for the Jets next year and be good and maybe you know, take them to the playoffs and whoever. But, like, the longer this drags on and the more of these guys go off the market, that's when it starts to get really, you know, worrying and concerning from a Jets point of view because all of a sudden that does start limiting you to guys that you really don't want started. It's Jacoby Brissett, Andy Dalton. And, like, who knows how many of those guys are going to be gone, you know, 24 hours, 48 hours, you know what I mean? The longer this drags, that's when it starts to get really twitchy. And the Dolphins already stole Mike White. Yeah. If you were trying to, did uh, you see that unhinged build. graphic that was put out yesterday? No. It was did they like do a, Mike White's first four starts compared to Joe Montana and. Thank you, Mike White, where he looks like he's dead, like in an angel wings oh, and a halo. Oh, yeah, that is. Yeah, that, that's oh, an obituary, really? not that a is, not hey, a. I'm gonna send this. Jets treat former players like we treat former PFF employees. I'm gonna send this. Rest to, in peace to Mike and see if you can fire that up on the podcast. Rest in peace. Maybe the most unhinged graphic I've ever seen in my life from W Fan Sports Radio 660, which I assume is a New York home of the New York Jets. It is maybe the most crazy graphic I have ever seen put out. Is he dead or just angelic for saving their offense for a few games? Right. I I assume that's what they were going for. But also, this is a guy that started, what, like five games for them? It's just absolute craziness. As someone who watched him battle in the rain uh, against the Chicago Bears and not Justin Fields at quarterback, look, Mike White, there were Mike White chants the entire time I was in the building, including in the restroom. People were going nuts for Mike White. (laughs) Jets fans love them some Mike White. They love that guy. Look at that (laughs) madness. He, he legitimately, like, that just needs, you know, 1985. I was going to say, that. he just, like, is, uh, yeah. 
That's that that looks 2020 to right. 22. That looks like a guy that was tragically taken too soon by a car accident, and instead it's just <laughs> a dude that played what six games for them and has now gone to Miami. I mean, the hit he took from Matt Milano was, you know, he battled for that, 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 that team ridiculous. in New York. He is tough. I mean, yeah. Mike White is one of the best backups in the NFL. I, I mean, I really liked what we saw from Mike White. I'm just saying that is taking it <laughs> to some insane level. Well, imagine you know, the graphics coming out for Aaron Rodgers if that actually materializes. Well, you, know, but, you know that 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 cliche that, like, the most popular guy in the building is the backup quarterback? Yes. Well, apparently that is entirely true. Especially the, the man Jets. earned his wings, all right? Right. He earned his. Because I'm just saying, no starter for the Jets is getting that graphic. No. That's amazing. <laughs> I, uh, I promised some Raiders analysis. Let's so go. Uh, we did a quick video on Jimmy Garoppolo right here on the YouTube channel, which I know everybody subscribed to and has the, uh, the bell on for. The bell. The bell. Um, but Jimmy Garoppolo signs. Brad, you hated the move. Um, I, I, I try to take both sides. I sit on the fence and I say, oh, you can weigh this option. You can weigh that option. You know, think, of, think about what, they're, what the Raiders are thinking. But Jimmy Garoppolo, another mid-tier quarterback, but reunited with Josh McDaniels. And then this morning, they signed Jacoby Myers at receiver I, I will say that part of it for the Raiders I like right Sam you said I want to see Jacoby Myers with a really good receiver on the other side you have that and technically they still have Hunter Renfro and they still have Darren Waller for now it looks like one of the best patch, pa- pass catching groups in the in the uh, NFL absolutely I mean I think Myers it can play the Z I don't think he has to just be in the slot played about a third of his snaps out wide so it's not like he was you know 86% was Hunter Renfro in the slot last year he's not that confined to that position and again he's a classic guy where if he was a third round pick or if he ran a 4-4-8 instead of a 4-6-3 he's getting 14-15 a year instead of 11 I think it's a great deal for them I will say if we do think they're maybe moving on from someone I wouldn't guess of the two it's Hunter Renfro I wouldn't be shocked if Darren Waller is maybe you know a potential trade candidate um, you know for other teams I I could see that just because of all the injuries and all that stuff but I am fascinated to see what I, I just wanted to see what would happen with the Raiders if all those guys were healthy yeah, right Mac Hollins sure. even stepped up last year as a, a second option opposite Devontae Adams and even though I like to always cite the transforming effect that Tyreek Hill and A.J. Brown had on their respective offenses and Devontae Adams didn't necessarily have that he still had a great year and if Waller was healthy I do have to think that that would have been a little bit better for Carr and the rest of that offense. And, you know, remember the counter to that argument is he did have a transformative effect on an offense. It was the one he departed in Green Bay. He did. collapsed right. When, right. the second he was off the field. So what about the Garoppolo move for the Raiders? What are we looking at here? Does that keep them out of the QB market at seven? Is this... Uh, Jimmy the bridge here, or do they think they can win with him? It doesn't keep him out of the market. I think if a guy is there, they would probably still make a move there um, and, and think long-term. It, it's a one-and-a-half-year deal for Jimmy Garoppolo, essentially. Um, but, I mean, look, you bring a bunch of guys you can attack, attack the middle of the field with, which he's always been very good at. Um, you know, like you talked about, maybe not, maybe not a good supporting ca- cast compared to what he's had in the past, but a good supporting cast you know, relative to the rest of the NFL. By the way, can we just take a moment and appreciate the what an amazing gig this is for Jimmy G. Jimmy G is about to get an absolute ton of money and get to move his ass to Vegas. Jimmy G in Vegas? This is like the man's dream come true. Could not be a better scenario for him. He's got you know, all the right moves. He's got two rings. Yeah. Got paid in San Francisco. Uh-huh. Now he's on to Vegas. I mean, he's living the, uh, living the life. Oh, he's, he's going to be living the life in Vegas, all right. Two-time Super Bowl champion Particularly here. the second he actually – if assuming they draft a quarterback this year, which I still think they're pretty likely to do, 
Um, the Clayton Tunes of the world, or Stetson no, no, no. I, th- I mean, I think I think they're going to be looking to get one either with that number seven pick or potentially even trade up a couple of spots and grab somebody there. But like, I think they're now the team that is positioned to draft the quarterback that t- people think needs to sit. You know, so whereas there's other teams up there going, I we we can't really have a guy that needs to sit. We need to play a rookie right now. The Raiders are looking at this and going, we we have Jimmy G now. We can take a guy that's that's quote-unquote a project, sit him for a year, teach him how to play, and then eventually he takes over, blah, blah, blah. That's going to be the game plan, whether or not it works out, because obviously Jimmy G's going to get eight weeks into the season and then break an ankle or whatever. That's where Jimmy thrives. But anyway, when the my team's point draft being, replacement. at some stage, Jimmy G is going to lose that starting job and then be a massively well-paid backup with nothing to do in Vegas. And that's when the dream starts. <laughs> Only you can... Uh take the real angle here from a Jimmy Garoppolo standpoint. Uh-huh. I think Nevada also is one of the no state income tax states. Yes. So he goes from California <laughs> to Nevada. So I basically, basically got a raise in, in, with this contract. Just think of the briefcase full of singles he's going to have attached to him at all times. Jeez. He, he hasn't settled down and gotten married yet or anything? What's God, going on? I think he's done the opposite. Uh, oh, yes. He's done the opposite. Okay, oh, good. yes. We don't need to go to specifics. <laughs> go get him. He's having a good time in Vegas. So we'll, we'll put it that way. So explain the one and a half year contract. What are What does this contract actually mean? Yeah. So it looks like 34, I think it is, million uh, guaranteed at signing. He could have 2025 20, money kick in uh, to become guaranteed down the road. It could get to 45 in total guarantees here. Um, but essentially, let's say he's you know, good next year, but not great. And then you go into the following season, if they do draft a quarterback or if they're picking high again or something like that, you could phase him out to where he is kind of like a short leash. We'll start you as long as it goes well. And then we'll phase into the next guy. You know, that's, that's the deal it is. Is, is Darren Waller all but traded at this point? Because there's, there's little dead money. He's 31 years old, heading into 2023, coming off the injury. I wouldn't go that far. Uh, you know, I, I just think it is possible. And every, everyone was pointing to Hunter Renfro when they signed Jacoby Myers. I just think, like, you should look at both of those guys as potential options. I wouldn't say good as traded, but, you know, I wouldn't be shocked. I mean, I think they can all coexist. Renfro's a lot of money, though, for for a slot. Right? I mean, he is a, a lot of money for basically a wide receiver three in slot only, as you, as you laid out. But I would, um, as an upside chaser here, the upside of having De- Darren Waller on the team, if you can assure me his health, that's the best way. Jimmy Garoppolo has put up good numbers, right? And we've always attributed it to Kyle Shanahan, and I think that's mostly fair. It's But it's also the playmakers that Garoppolo has always been around. I mean, who we always used to say this about Kirk Cousins. Who has had better consistent situations than Jimmy Garoppolo and probably Kirk Cousins. Like, Cousins has always had multiple receivers to throw to and everything. Garoppolo has a chance to have that again, maybe put up good numbers again, and then it's a matter of the Raiders' defense maybe figuring it if out. If those four guys are healthy and you get a version of Josh Jacobs you got last year, it's right. arguably the and best Jacobs. weaponry the in the NFL. And that's the thing. Like, isn't that the sort of the situation you're presented with as the Raiders, which is, look, we're in a division with Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. We are behind the eight ball, no matter what we do at quarterback. We've decided Derek Carr wasn't going get, to get that done. All right, replacing Carr with Jimmy G is a debatable move you can make. But the point being, they can't be looking at this and think, all right, we're on par with Kansas City now. So the only way of bridging that gap is to say, we have to keep every possible weapon we have because the only way we can hang with, with Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid is to try and be better at the skill position players than they are because we're not better at quarterback. 
Yeah, and I think the thing too now, what, what it opens up, is let's say they don't go quarterback at seven in the draft, you're getting, what, a top three defensive player? Because they're probably going to get three quarterbacks, maybe more in the first six picks before them. You get one of the best defensive linemen, get an interior guy, you know, with, with Max Crosby and Chandler Jones on the outside, then you're really potentially cooking, you know, both sides of the ball. I, I also don't know if when the Raiders are sitting there in their free agent meetings talking about Jimmy Garoppolo, I don't know if they're having the same conversation that we're having. Or I, don't, I don't think they're answering it the same way. We're looking at it as a guy that kind of got a little lucky with turnover-worthy plays and had Kyle Shanahan and, and has inflated stats. And how many times do NFL personnel people be like, say, uh, oh, quarterback who went to the Super Bowl. This guy went to the Super Bowl. Yeah. Right? This oh, yeah. guy's won. He's 40 and 17 as a starter, right? He's not. all of these things. I'm just telling you, these are the conversations they're having Yep. about Garoppolo. But they're not sitting there and saying, all right, now we're, now we're level with the Chiefs. You've got your superstar, we've got ours. No, they're not. But again, we, we always handled these situations like, I don't want a mid-tier quarterback ever. I want to do whatever I can to get the guy that can compete. Like the Chargers have the guy that theoretically can at least compete with Mahomes and the Chiefs. Now that's figure out everything around him. And, and one of these years, they're going to they're gonna beat the Chiefs, right? One of these years, they're going to win the division or go further than them in the playoffs. And I think that's that's reasonable and feasible. But what's the Raiders' alternative right now, other than hitting on the quarterback at seven, which is still potentially in play, what's their alternative if they can't get Aaron Rodgers? No, I mean... It's this. I buy the idea that they, they could convince themselves that they're now better than they were with Derek Carr. Even if, to us, it's a lateral move, maybe it's a downgrade. I can buy the idea that they're looking at that and going, Carr never brought us where we needed to go. He didn't, you know, make the big plays at the right time, and therefore we never made a Super Bowl. Whereas Jimmy G, you're saying, no, this guy's won games. He's taken a team to the Super Bowl. He's got championship rings, sort of. Um, I can buy that they've talked themselves <laughs> into rings. that. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, also, like, we look. But, but again, they're not, like, going, so we're exactly the same as the Chiefs now. No, right. But, I mean, led the NFL in yards per attempt, I think, the last couple of years. And, again, we obviously think that is heavily tied to Kyle Shanahan and the, the weapons. But they have those weapons, though, right? And Josh McDaniels is a very good offensive coordinator or play caller. So one, in- more, one more angle here, though. We've said a lot of times, where is the mid-tier quarterback contract, right? And we put the hierarchy as elite quarterback, any price. Elite quarterback, of course, on a rookie contract. But elite quarterback, any price. Then a rookie contract quarterback who's good. Then, you know, a good quarterback who you might have to pay for, you know, the DAC at 40 type of deal. But somewhere in there is Jared Goff with a cap hit in the 20s. They have Jimmy Garoppolo on reasonable cap hits. Have they this is found the mid, yeah. this is the mid-tier? So that's why this is an upgrade over Derek Carr. Because if we're going to say they're in the middle class of quarterbacks, they're similar players production-wise, but Garoppolo's half the price, basically. Yeah, you're potentially paying 48 and a half over two years. So, you know, less than 25 million per year over the first two years there. Him and Geno Smith have now, we actually have two mid-tier quarterback options. Um, yeah, it, it, it comes down to health. I think I also just kind of very harped on That's a lot true. of the health yesterday. If yeah. you can stay healthy, it's a fine contract. That's just right. been a big if recently. That And you can't, like at this point, you can't possibly expect him to. Like, That's the thing. He's right. like, he's quarterback to run Armstead in terms of you it, have to assume he's right. going to miss 25% of the season at minimum. I think that was as much of a reason I think that's why the Niners traded up to move on from Garoppolo if that was the only had, at the reason, time he had played right. less than half of the yes. games if that was the only thing that motivated them it would have been entirely defensible I suspect they were also thinking we can probably do a bit better than this as well but you're right if that had been the only thing motivating it it would have made perfect sense Garoppolo is the perfect example where I think his injuries have been kind of his fault right he invites 
not not all of them, but you know, he he tore his ACL when he was trying to make an extra move instead of running out of bounds. He's been yeah. when he got hurt by the in the Patriots game and last year, it was trying to extend a play right. just the, like, too long, right? Where other quarterbacks get rid of the ball, he extends it too long and takes this hit, gets spiked on his shoulder. I don't. He's got to do better with that. Uh, yes, I think your overall sentiment is correct. I don't. I don't think it's fair to say. The man planted his foot in the ground and his ACL just decided game over. Should have run out of bounds. Right, but like... A yard earlier. But the point was, he wasn't like... He didn't cut into a, like an egregious hit that he shouldn't have taken. I, If I'm remembering it rightly, like he just made a cut that would have made, gained him a few more yards and his, his knee just went, I know. sorry, I, son, not today. And now you got no ACL. I'm like, not trying to completely blame him. Like, I'm just remember, saying Zach the Wilson, injury-prone stuff is legit with Garoppolo. Yeah, but like remember, Zach Wilson did the same kind of thing in a preseason game where he just cut and his knee just went, nope. Like, that, that's not the same thing as, you know, you've taken a stupid hit trying to make a move that you shouldn't have. You should have just slid. Like, at some point, the, like the guy's body has to react the way it's supposed to. All right, let me, let's put a bow on the Raiders discussion here. I, I would keep Darren Waller at all costs because we're, we're trying to beat the Chiefs and the Chargers. And Darren Waller is the type of play that some other team around the league is going to say, Darren Waller's this upside play because when he's on the field – Top five tight ends transform offenses. Top five tight ends absolutely transform offenses. Mark Andrews, Travis Kelsey, Gronk when he's healthy, George Kittle. Well, Waller's one of those guys. Yeah. I would not like your only chance of competing with those teams is to do it on the offensive side of the ball with explosive plays, and Waller needs to remain a Raider. Now, all that said, the defense on paper looks so bad. Max Crosby's a star. They overspent for Chandler Jones, and they have nothing else. The rest of this offseason needs to be a couple offensive line plays and then the defense of the Raiders. But I would keep Waller and do everything I can to create this explosive offense that Garoppolo can at least manage while he's healthy. No, I would agree. If you don't take quarterback, you have to take a defense player at seven. Like, not should, have to. Yeah, I mean, and it's everywhere. I think they need, they need corners. They need defensive linemen that are impact players besides Max Crosby. They're another team. If Jalen Carter's there at seven, would be a, a really good fit. I don't think Will Anderson lands that far. Um, I'm not a Tyree Wilson guy if he ends up there at seven because I don't think he's – I think he's a bit overrated as a uh, toolsy type of player. But, yeah, they should be in that market from uh, a draft perspective. Mm -hmm. What else do we want to cover? Some of our favorite picks? Yeah. Let's go some favorite picks from uh, – or signings from day one here, free agency. I'll jump in. I uh, I love the Ogo Akaronko signing for the Cleveland Browns. Don't steal mine. Yeah, that's oh, well, I apologize. That's why that's I jumped good. in. I, yeah. I knew it was, it was, it was maybe a, first. a favorite. Yeah, yeah. three years, nineteen million, uh, right around where we had him at, was phenomenal. The, the second half of the season, um, once he became a full time player, you need some more juice opposite Miles Garrett, and he is that guy. You see the numbers there on the screen. Uh, but from week eleven on, I almost he was top five in pass rush win rate and pressure percentage among edge defenders. I mean, just a, an ascending player. Love that move. Love that one as well. Um, one of my favorites was Marcus Davenport to the Vikings, which I think was kind of the first one-year prove-it type of deal that we got yesterday. Every year you see a bunch of these where players that we think are going to go for big money or, or get that long-term deal, they end up taking the one-year 10 million, now it's 10 million plus, 13, you know, inflation. But that one-year prove-it deal, and for like the last five years, it's been uh, Jadavian Clowney. Now it's Marcus Davenport, who theoretically – is like the perfect big money free agent. He's that 25 type year old prototypical size, speed, athleticism, never quite been the player that he was supposed to be as a first round pick. The Vikings getting him 
for that prove it deal, I think is phenomenal. Because now, if he does prove it, they've kind of got first right of refusal, you know, as a an expiring free agent that's already on their team. And if he doesn't, it was worth a shot at that kind of price. I, I love both of those moves, guys. What first off, do you know offhand if uh, Okoronkwo what type of comp pick he might? Get if he had six Texans. per it would be like a fifth round value, Just maybe even round. sixth at this point. Yeah, because that I mean, if we're trying to justify the Texan strategy, I mean, Okoronkwo was should have been one of the guys that they that the Texans locked up for four years a couple years ago, where they said, "All right, as we're starting to get better, he's one of those pieces that we could build around. At least they're going to get something in return." But Okoronkwo, I think, has been kind of do that long term deal for a while at a reasonable price. So I do love that for the Browns. And then why is Davenport only getting the one year? So at his age, one season of 500 snaps in his entire career. I had him at one year 12, so I feel great about that one. Uh, I got to How get... did you land there? I thought he was, <laughs> without looking at your numbers, I'm looking at his receipt. I'm sorry to interrupt, but no, I love it. I do. I love it. <laughs> I'm looking at his age, his productivity. I've been citing the snap totals quite a bit too. I understand he's he's never played more than 500 in the whole thing or whatever one year. But I am assuming somebody was going to pay this monster former first round pick four years. And you know, eighteen to twenty million a year. I just assumed that was going to happen. You obviously knew otherwise. No, it's like we're talking about guys like Zach Allen, and, and of course, different position markets right now. But you know, he has the one season. You could argue, all right, you know, Davenport has missed time, but over the course of his career, he's top twenty in pass rush and pressure rate among edge defenders. He's also a good run run defender as well. It's not just um, you know as a pass rusher, but yeah, it's really just I think probably wanted more on a multi year deal than anyone would give. So I know it didn't work out for Clowney, but you take the one-year flyer, and if you have a good season, play 700 snaps, then you are talking about trying to get 18, 20 million per year. Yeah, I mean, it makes would, perfect sense. I like, make that move every year. Yeah, absolutely. It makes perfect sense from a Minnesota point of view. And obviously, if the offers weren't where he wanted them to go, like he's running the Jadavion Clowney playbook again, yep. only he hopes it's not going to work out the same way. If he actually yeah. shows up, and who knows... You know, like the, the longer the clowny thing works its way along, the more it seems like there's quite a lot behind teams not wanting to give him the, the giant deal, even independent of injuries and whatever. Like if Davenport does show up, bet on himself, go out here this year with presumably an expanded role, you know, if Minnesota probably wants to see if he can be that big uh, elite type of edge rusher for them, and he goes out there and just dominates – like it's perfect for him. I love it, too, because, you know, Zedaria Smith comes out and is trying to, I guess, probably either get more money or, or do something, says he wants to trade, or basically says he was cut before they even cut him. Yeah. I said, okay, fine, we'll just replace you, and now we've all the leverage in the world. You literally said goodbye. Yeah, he <laughs> right. posted a goodbye yeah. tweet when he has two years old, and they said, all right, fine, we'll pivot. I, I think it is one of my favorite signings as well, no question. So I agree with both of you guys on that. You know, Davenport, it's a prove-it deal, and if he ends up walking, you get the comp pick. And not that you're signing guys for comp picks, but, you know, you take all that stuff into mm -hmm. consideration. Um, I like the Eric Kendricks signing yes. to the Chargers. Love this. Um, coming off of two down years after he had back-to-back, -back, uh, you know, two of the best back-to-back -back seasons we've seen from a linebacker in coverage in 2019 and 20. Um, I think buying low on linebackers, I'm all for it, especially as we talked about earlier in the show, the Tremaine Edmonds market. You know, even though he's an elite talent as far as skill set and all that stuff, Give me all the linebackers in the six to eight million dollar range that are still going to be productive and in, in a buy low world for the Chargers who have not had a, a really good coverage linebacker in a while. They've tried to you know draft Kenneth Murray and the whole deal. Kendricks could be that guy, along with we're allowed to say Derwin James' name during the offseason. 
I mean, you just did. He's going to slip in the shower or something like uh-huh. that, right? The, Derwin uh, James and all the other coverage players that they've added over the last couple of years. I have no evidence to suggest that this is actually a thing. We should I probably check that at some point. But I have a lot of time for the theory that if you have an underachieving athletic player, certainly a linebacker, throwing a guy that even if he's lost a lot of what made him so great, still has that like veteran 10 years type of experience, knows where how to maximize his skill set, has been the guy that the young player is trying to be, I have a lot of time for the idea that that will help overall. Even if Kendricks isn't any better this year than he was last season, maybe he can have a positive impact on a guy like Kenneth Murray, who ultimately you do still have quite a lot invested in, even if it isn't currently working out that well. So I love the theory. And there's also the possibility that he does have a bounce back season. It's not like he's, you know, 38 years old and completely toasted. Like he's got the ability to bounce back after a rough year I think that position is one and this is having a couple conversations you know again in Indy like where bringing in a veteran off-ball linebacker for a young player that you like I guess they didn't bring him in but you know like CJ Mosley gets a ton of credit for the fact that Jets just extended Quincy Williams for you know six million dollars a year a solid deal because it is right now in the NFL one of the hardest positions to play yeah there is so much stress there you have to have eyes in the back of your head and be able to play forward do all these things so does it help Kenneth Murray probably yes I think it also signals Drew Tranquil is is not going to be back in Los Angeles. A lot of buzz on him. Could get a pretty strong deal. This linebacker market's all over the place. Um, but, you know, good coverage player. Had a really good season last year. I think that probably, you know, signals he's going elsewhere. Anything else you guys wanted to highlight? Yeah. I. What picks do you like? One of my what, favorite signings. Signings. Uh, not for a good reason. But, well, depend. Sam Darnold to the, the San Francisco 49ers. Because I now have to see a half season of Kyle Shanahan turning Sam Darnold into an all-pro and then just like hanging up his controller and walking off into the sunset, (laughs) having completed the game on its most difficult setting. I've done it. I'll tell you this. I, you know, after Brock Purdy had his surgery, came out, I think I mentioned this yesterday, but I would keep an eye on Trey Lance. I'm not saying it's going to happen immediately. Um, They need to figure a lot of things out. I think Darnold is insurance if they want to trade Trey Lance. I also think, I think it was Field Field Yates who tweeted that they now have two separate number three overall picks and both of them are probably backing up Mr. Irrelevant. Wow. Yeah, and, and we spend so much time on the draft and who's the quarterback and go That's get Darnold and go get Trey Lance and they're just, you know, <laughs> so, backing up Mr. Irrelevant. Like I quote tweeted, and yet all you're going to hear for the next month is people declaring with 100% certainty this guy stinks, this guy's great, this guy's whatever. Yeah. Like, we don't know anything. We we think we do and we have a vague indication. Can we but... at least fake it till the, till the draft <laughs> so people stick around to listen to what we have to say? I mean, look, you can still evaluate and so I'm just saying that you need to be aware when you, just don't make declarative statements. You know, learn that lesson at least that Three years later, you're going to be looking at this and you're going to look like a moron because Mr. Irrelevant is now the best quarterback on a team with multiple top three picks. Not even third overall picks. Uh, Darnold get three second round picks to trade up to get him. Trey Lance, two first round picks to trade right. up to get him. Not just guys that fell to three, guys that were uh, targeted were at, you know, at, at three. Yeah. yeah, Traded up four. <laughs> Any other signings? I keep saying uh, draft picks, but signings. I really liked um, Hargrave to the 49ers. I mean, on a, ser- on a more serious note, Uh, them deciding to aggressively keep ensuring that their front four is is a weapon in that defense, I think is big. Like the 49ers are taking the approach that the AFC is taking, only being in an easier conference. They're like, we need to load up because at some point you're going to have to face one of these elite teams, whether it's the Eagles in the championship game, whether it's an AFC team in the Super Bowl. 
So let's make sure that we have the kind of armory to go toe-to-toe with those guys. For me, just, I mentioned the Eric Kendricks pick. He had been released by the Vikings, and then you, you pick him up cheap. That is, that is my free agent type. Uh, Robert Woods going to the Houston Texans for two years, a little over $15 million. I'll do that all day. I'll do that all day. Give me, um, and maybe my weak spot is guys who have battled injuries or guys that are on the decline, and maybe they're really on the decline. But to me, that's a buy low with upside, right? Buy low with wide receiver two upside, a guy who could still get open. And we talked earlier, way earlier on the show, about Corey Davis being over $12 million a year as a wide receiver two a couple years ago. You're getting Robert Woods for 58% of that per year. That is fantastic. Let me do all. Uh, let me pick up all the guys that were cut that are uh, by low opportunities here. One, one more I loved, and I do think maybe injuries played a role here and, and kept the market suppressed a little bit. But David Long for two years, eleven million dollars to the Miami Dolphins. Yeah. I, I think the linebacker, the linebacker. Long, yeah, yeah, you're right. David Long Jr. Uh, I think West Virginia guy. Not not David Long, the corner uh, from I want to say Michigan. Anyway, uh, you know I think he's a good fit opposite Jerome Baker. He plays downhill uh, when he was healthy last year. Was top fifteen in, in tackles for loss. Uh, you know this is kind of funny as an off-ball linebacker, but top five in pass rush win rate and pressure rate among all ball linebackers uh, with players with 100 snaps over the last three seasons like a very good downhill attacking linebacker that I mean Vic Fangio is assembling the Avengers in, in Miami right now yeah I, I love that move as well also we talked about it in the bear section but TJ Edwards signing for that good, yeah. cheap a deal I think is an absolute steal for them let's look at uh, some other notable deals uh, Juwan Taylor the Jaguars right tackle goes to the Chiefs the Chiefs had both uh, both tackles as free agents Andrew Wiley is out. He's going to go to Washington to, to play right tackle there. Um, but what are your thoughts on Jawan Taylor going to the Chiefs? Four years, $80 million for Taylor coming off of a career year. Excellent pass blocking grade, only 21 pressures allowed. But also the most critical piece of information in that is the, the, the talk is he's going there to play left tackle, not right tackle. So this is a career right tackle. Obviously the Chiefs have got recent form of doing that. They brought in Orlando Brown, who had been a right tackle in Baltimore. He moved because he wanted to prove that he could play left tackle. The Chiefs put him there. It worked out. Everything's great. The difference, though, one of the differences, is Juwan Taylor has basically never played left tackle. He was not a college left tackle who was then flipped to the right side in the NFL the way Orlando Brown was. He's always been a a right tackle. In college, 134 snaps, I think, at left tackle, basically filled in in a pinch, but was a three-year starter at right tackle the NFL, it's only been right tackle. We're talking like a handful of snaps that have been uh, on the left side, and it's just the unbalanced formation stuff. That, I think, is a very different ask than taking a guy who's played on the left, just not in the last couple of years. I don't understand it, to be honest. I still don't. I mean, I think the NFL, you've, you've seen the right, ta- right tackle market sure. explode in recent years. Um, it was it's 10 years ago, almost to the day, I think I wrote the article on left tackles and right tackles are essentially the same as far as uh, importance and um, who they're going to go up against from a pass rusher standpoint. All of the reasons why right tackles were undervalued years ago had to do with the blind side with quarterback. That's debunked. Like that doesn't matter uh, who they're, who they're pass rushing against. Teams aren't right-handed anymore when they run. You don't need your mauler there. All those things have been debunked over the last 10 years, but there's still some teams that feel the need to, um, you know, even the Bucks are, are talking about we're going to move Tristan Wirfs to, to left tackle, but why? I don't understand. Unless you're unless you're the Chiefs and you just think Mahomes has such good vision, particularly, you know, to his 
throwing side, to the, to the right side, that we actually do want our better player at left tackle, there's really no need to switch guys because there is a little bit of risk that they won't be as good when they switch, yeah. particularly Juwan Taylor, who's never done it. But the worst one is another. It's like it's more like the Orlando Brown one, where I can kind of see what. Like that's a guy who did play left tackle in college. Right? Yeah, within the last two years, yeah. he had played and left then tackle. moved to the right. And you're saying, okay, he's amazing at right tackle. Let's flip him back to the left side. Hopefully, he'll remain amazing, and we're all good. I think that's a very, very different conversation to taking a guy that's literally never done it, and then flipping him and just hoping it works out the same here's my conspiracy look i'll take what they're saying at face value although i guess they haven't said it but nevertheless if you're still trying to negotiate with left tackles there was the rumblings about laramie tunsil i don't think that's going to happen but nevertheless if you're trying to negotiate with a left tackle and saying well you know honestly we we, we are comfortable playing him at left tackle we could sign a right tackle instead you know helping you a little bit in negotiations getting a little bit of leverage yeah. maybe that's a small part of it and a guy like jumps out to me like like as isaiah win like if you're talking to isaiah win right now and he wants to come in and say look i know it New England shifted me over, but I'm a left tackle. I'm a first-round pick at left tackle, so you should give me more money because I'm going to go back to that spot. And it's like, man, well, you know, we can push on the right side. We're not really concerned there with, with what we do. Okay, I'll buy that. I will buy negotiation tactics, but I'm glad you brought up Isaiah Wynn because he's a perfect example. I think there, there's a point, and we have to, I have to study this more specifically. There's definitely a point where early in your career, moving back and forth from left and right happens all the time, and players have success. But the Donald Penn after eight years, Ali Villanueva after eight years, Isaiah Wynn was three years as a left tackle in New England. They moved him to the right side. His grades go from 70 to 82 to 74 to 54, right? There's definitely a tipping point where you just don't want to mess with a side a player is playing on because he becomes a different player after a while, all the muscle memory and all that stuff. So um, I like the negotiation potential tactic, though, because I'd play that game. That makes sense. Yeah, and I think for Kansas City, I, I don't, I don't hate this move. Um, I think the talk on Jawan Taylor is maybe a little bit overblown. Like people are, yeah, a lot of NFL, uh, and a lot of NFL people are saying this guy's an elite pass protector. I don't know that you can go quite that far. Um, his also his run blocking has been bad, like downright bad. It's probably an upgrade over a guy like Andrew Wiley, like. Assuming he stays at right tackle, it's probably an upgrade over Orlando Brown if he moves to the left side. But we're talking about guys that gave up 40 or 50 pressures last season versus somebody who gave up 21. That is a significant difference, even if there's a bunch of those hidden, you know, BD-type plays for Juwan Taylor as well. At the same time, Juwan Taylor, a couple of years ago, it was him and Cam Robinson who led the league in most pressures allowed among tackled pairings. Mm-hmm. And Juwan Taylor was battling for his job with Walker Little in the preseason and into the season. Yeah. So we're, we're not that far removed from Jawan Taylor being a guy that looked like a, not a bust, but a guy that the Jags would just move on from and be fine with it and just find his replacement. So it's a fine line, I think, with Jawan Taylor here. I mean, they franchise tagged Evan Ingram and didn't franchise tag Jawan Taylor, and the value there would be less than what he got per year from Kansas City. So I think it shows what they think. Also, shout out Jacksonville, developing some good tackles the last couple of years. But the big thing here, too, is I know you can always fall for potential. I mean, he's going to be 25 for the first two months of the season. He is, like, he is very, very young. And, you know, vaguely, relatively inexperienced with that, um, with that age. Are there any, um, are any moves you didn't like? Probably. Yeah? Uh, Andre Dillard. Yes. Going to the Tennessee Titans. Mm-hmm. Um, I am all for the, you know, former first-round pick, taking a shot on him. This reminds me of the Joe Noteboom pick. Or, I keep saying picks, man. <laughs> Signing. The draft shows. In, I'm, just in, in dra- I'm yeah. just in draft mode. I'm all for signings where a guy shows a little something and you pay him 
like he's shown a little something in the, in the payout, you know, the buy low, right? Yeah. What was the official deal for... For Dillard, as far as we know, three years, twenty-nine million. I haven't seen anything move off of that. Even if that's incentive boosted and it's you know eight million a year, like, yeah, I mean the guy has not played. That's a lot of money. It's First a... round pick in two thousand nineteen for the Eagles. He uh, was drafted, remember, to take over from Jason Peters. Like Jordan Mailata, a guy who had been playing rugby up until they got him, took the job from him essentially. Yeah, I mean, I would if 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 I was a GM. Brad's original projected contract, one year, $3.25 million, which is, hey, Perfect. come in, compete for the left tackle spot the same way you did in Philadelphia, right. upside play. If you, you know, if you hit, good for all of us. The same thing I would have done with Joe Nopum with the Rams, a guy who filled in, was okay for Andrew Whitworth, give him a little flyer, but instead I mean, the Rams heavily invested in Nopum. I don't know if that's the right move, and the Titans doing it with Dillard. Yeah, I mean, the projections, look, the projection was wrong. I think it, it does signal, like... I'm not calling you out. Your projection was right. No, no well, It no. was right. He's a one-year, $3.25 million player. Right. I mean, if he wasn't a first-round pick, maybe it would have been closer. I think the interesting thing there, though, is we know teams were trying to trade for him in years past, and Howie Roseman yeah. refused to move on from him. And I heard at one point one of the offers was a fourth-round pick, so I, I can't say that's a fact or anything. But, like, you know, to not take a decent draft pick for the guy that you're not even playing, yeah. um, you know, it, it's a signal to a degree. Now, also, what are they going to get in a comp pick, though? That's like a fifth round value. Yeah. The two things though, like number one, um, th like this to me is the best example this year of that first round pick thing. It's just a perpetual cheat code going forward, right? Like this is an indication that somebody in that room in Tennessee loved Andre Dillard when he came out as a prospect. Yes. Like they loved that guy as a draft because you can't get to that value based off his NFL tape so far, which has been bad enough to lose him the starting job. And then when he's filled in the pinch, it's been fine. But it's not like you go, oh, wow, this guy's definitely got it. Well, I mean, do we even know he's going to play tackle? Like, he could play guard in Tennessee, yeah. too. You know? But the other element there is, imagine, like, Philadelphia has arguably the best offensive line coach in exactly. the NFL. Exactly. Stoutman, imagine looking at this guy who was unable, effectively, to develop Andre Dillard into the starting left tackle and instead pivoted to a rugby player as his guy and think oh, no, I can do better than that. Like, we're going to take him and fix him. You, I mean, you made a mess of it, right? I, I, you made a balls of this completely. We're going to grab this guy, turn him into our starter. Now, look, Tennessee needed offensive line help, so maybe they just had to throw some money around, but I, I can't see how you get to that valuation based off everything we've seen from Dillard. You mentioned the, someone in Tennessee probably had a high grade. Also, the, the Eagles' point is great. The Eagles trade up for him, and they have just Statlin. They're probably the best offensive line developing team in the NFL. That also probably is like, oh, well, Philly loved him, so you know, so we should probably sign him for a lot because he's probably good. But like you said, he couldn't crack the starting lineup. Look, Jordan Mailata is awesome, but I'm sure he had so many opportunities to beat out a seventh-round pick, yeah. one of the last picks in the entire draft. They probably kept giving him chances, and he just couldn't do it. Right. I mean, Mailata's awesome, but wasn't at the point where he was taking the job from Andre Dillard, a first-round draft pick. Right, like, right. The level of things that have to happen for you to go, the first-rounder is not giving this job. The dude that picked up the game three weeks ago and was a seventh-round pick actually is going to be our guy instead. Yep. That has to be a monstrous disparity in play. Yeah. Fascinating from the Eagles because I think we've we've complimented so many of their moves over the last couple of years. Um, I liked the Dillard pick as a process pick because he was supposed to be the replacement. But again, it yeah, shows they were like a year earlier. Here's this first round player. Here's this rugby play. Like they hit on this rugby player. Another buy low. Who the heck knows what's going to happen? Not every move has to be great if you're a team, right? If you continue to make good picks from a or good picks and signings and everything you do just from a process standpoint over time. You're going to have more wins than losses. But the Eagles could point to 
Jalen Rager over Justin Jefferson, missing on Andre Dillard. It's okay to have those things if most of what you're doing is still sound from a process standpoint. Those were back-to-back first-round picks. And then in the second round of the Dillard year, I think they took uh, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside. So it's like, right. and then, but you just keep taking shots, bringing a Jordan Mailata. Yeah, you, you can miss and still be good. Yes, that's just a good reminder here during draft season. I, uh, I need your take on the Indianapolis Colts signing a kicker to oh. the richest kicker deal in all, of all time. We gotta do it's going right. to put them over the top. Matt Gay, four years, $22.5 million. Matt, okay, I'm going to – I think I can – say this but you know uh, when we were doing the, the Sloan panel with Kevin Demoff he mm-hmm. was half joking you know talking to people just like hey sign uh, sign Matt Gay so we can get a comp pick sign sign Baker Mayfield so we can get a comp pick you know he's like asking the room there you go my you want my rule of thumb for the, the kicker punter deal if you don't have Justin Tucker I would never, ever. Don't, don't reset the market. Yes. I would never, ever make a kicker the highest paid kicker of all time or indeed sign them to a deal longer than like two years. Just don't do it. They always, always at some point lose it and just collapse mentally and stop being able to kick. This is the guy the Buccaneers drafted and then cut, I think, a year later or waived, I guess, a year later. Ends up in L.A. More, more cash for the first three years than Justin Tucker. So, yes, we're talking about he's second in APY in the, t- the total of the deal. But Tom Pelissero's had more cash uh, through the first three years. It's insane. Also, a team that does not spend in free agency, too. Like, the Colts, that's the only signing they've made so far. <laughs> Bring back EJ Speed, another, you know, Frankie Louvu type great special teams player that can play linebacker. Um, t- you know, that, that in that market, fine deal. But for your biggest splash on a team that needs to figure out quarterback, <laughs> you know has holes at what tight end they need to figure out offensive line you could probably add some value and they make a splash at kicker it's... i don't know i don't know what to do with kickers because he he hit 77 percent of his field goals in tampa bay like you said he's out he's been 90 plus with the rams he hit seven of nine from 50 plus here's my kicker breakdown is there there is a comfort level when you at least find that guy and you don't have to deal with it again he'll be in a dome again and all that stuff or whatever yeah, it's yeah. worth but um, yeah, maybe not reset in the market. But those there. guys, it's like it's a classic. Like, look at his grades, right? 47 the first year in Tampa Bay, objectively terrible. Then first year with the Rams, 70, 82, 90. So it's been getting better and better every year, which you got great. That means he's on the Justin Tucker expressway. He's going to be the guy. But we've seen a million times that that one bad kick or like one wobble kick, over a couple of weeks. Ten is Yeah, and he immediately yeah. goes back to being the dude that's got a 70 grade or a 50 grade or whatever and he can't kick anymore and now you're getting rid of him and you're starting over. Like, that's happened to Graham Gano like three times in his NFL career. He's been great. He's got one of the best legs in the NFL. He's been money and then bam, he goes through a, a stretch where he gets the yips and you're like, Gano's gone. There's no, the there's no patience. Team. That's the thing. Like Daniel Carlson was the same as Matt Gay. Gets cut by Minnesota, then lands in Las Vegas. Has got gets a big deal. It's so volatile. But it's not even the yeah. It's not even the patience thing. It's like you can't afford to let them work through that. Like you can't. No. You can't go. No, we're okay with you missing. You know, twelve of the next twenty kicks, and because we know eventually you'll get it back, right? You, you right, don't l- right. forget how to kick the ball. You can't. Like that's a season gone. So as soon as those guys go through that, you're like, well, we're on to the next kicker. I've been a Chris Ballard defender for a long time. I think he does make a lot of smart moves. Um, but this is like a, just a classic, like chasing a floor, trying to be safe, trying not to lose a game because you miss a field goal. Like it's just not a priority in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. The one other one I want to question here, but um, it hurts me because I liked him pre-draft. Josh Oliver, the tight end, out of San Jose State, uh, going to the Vikings for over $7 million per year uh, across three years. 
good run blocking tight end. I get tactically what Minnesota is trying to do. And I think every move that Kwesi makes over there is going to be fascinating because he is, he's not the analytics GM, but he's the uh, economist GM type mm. of guy, right? That we've talked about. He's certainly going to view the game differently than your average scouting GM. So every move he makes, I'm just very interested in it. He has talked about how Kevin O'Connell has um, taught him, essentially, or they've, they've had good conversations about the value of tight ends. And now he's traded for TJ Hawkinson and signed a tight end, too, for a pretty good contract. I'm just I'm interested in that, right? You question it on the surface for a tight end, too, who's a run blocker, but where are they going in Minnesota? I'm just interested to follow. Yeah, I wrote this up in his in his write up. It does kind of make people see this number and think it's a little bit strange. There have been deals in the past, guys that are basically pure run blockers. Uh, you know, Nick Boyle, Tyler Croft that signed for around six and a half, seven million per year as well. My thing is, I think T.J. Hawkins is going to reset the market this off season. So you're spending twenty five million dollars a year probably on tight end. Um, you know, yeah, like you said, it opens up their offense. They can do a lot of different things. Um, but yeah, interesting. No, no, no question. It, it also makes me think. Okay, if if the guy who might be looking at undervalued assets is valuing run blocking that high, does anybody learn from that and say, Darnell Washington in the draft, who's supposed to be the best run blocker to come out in years, who could all, who's also a monster and can catch the ball pretty well, maybe he's a, a potential steal. Or if you're the Vikings, maybe you should have just drafted him instead I mean, on I, the it, cheap. I kind of feel like before everybody copies the the edge the quasi is pursuing you have to see it work yeah i feel like we're going to be monitoring this to find out if he actually knows anything that other people don't and it has success before we start copying let's overpay for run blocking tight ends here i i agree that's why i when i said i was questioning it i said i'm i'm, mon- I'm monitoring i'm keeping an eye right. on it i'm curious to see how this plays out but clearly kevin o'connell two tight end system they're going to be emphasizing that in it could maybe be an angle too there are reports that dalvin cook is at least potentially available via trade uh maybe they are here's going back to the analytics gm so to speak let's go cheap at running back but let's make sure whoever's back there has great blocking in front of him we can run out 12 personnel do different things um and well the, the, the savings we get at running back we'll spend at making sure that running back has you know wide open lanes the 12 personnel idea i, I like a lot i thought um I thought Frank Reich did a great job, has done a good job with that. Doug Peterson did a great job with that with, with Philadelphia. So I, I don't hate that as a concept, right, it, mismatch creating. What it possibly does is just change the kind of personnel dynamic that everybody's been anticipating with Minnesota. You know, in, in the draft, we've been giving them guys like Jordan Addison, Jackson Smith and Jigba in the first round if they end up falling to them. Uh, like they might not be interested in replacing Adam Thielen. K.J. Osborne steps up, becomes the sort of second receiver. Obviously, you, you add like a random slot you know somewhere right, right, right. for no money or, or a low draft pick but like your pivot is essentially shifting to more two tight end formations more heavier sets and you're kind of good with just having two capable starting receivers i mean hawkinson at this point is basically a big slot especially now if you sign you know a blocking tight end to that deal yeah. you are probably going to have like hawkinson is not going to line up in line very often all right anything else you wanted to uh touch on before no, we leave? i think we're kind of draymond jones Somebody asked about Draymond Jones going to the Seahawks. Yeah, he's he's. I think that's a solid signing for them. Another team that needed to hit defensive line. I think generally, outside of Chicago, the teams that needed to attack their defensive lines have at least made one relatively 
impact signing there. Seattle brings in Draymond Jones with a, a decent amount of pressure. Definitely an upgrade for them. Um, Cleveland has been aggressively going after defensive linemen, signing an edge and an interior guy. The, the Falcons obviously brought in a, a familiar face on the defensive line. I mean, generally, those teams that needed that upgrade have, have prioritized it. Yes, yeah, Seattle needs uh, a lot of bodies on the defensive line, but that's uh, a step in the right direction. The next step could be Will Anderson, Tyree Wilson, or Jalen Carter in the draft to go with Draymond Jones. I think Seattle plus 550 to win their division is my favorite division bet in the NFL right now. Interesting. Gino Believer again? Gino Believer, and because they got, like we talked about, that mid-tier, an actual mid-tier deal, I said when it happened, they can now actually spend in free agency. They had a lot of cap space before that. They can be aggressive, and sure sure enough, they signed one of the biggest deals of the offseason. A lot of draft picks. It's really tough to say just hit on them like you did last year, but they hit on last year's draft picks. All those guys head into year two. That looks like it could be the best draft class since the 2017 Saints as far as depth and contributors. So, yeah, the Seahawks certainly looking a lot better now than they were last year at this time. Mm -hmm. And that's a good show, I have to say. I think we had a good show. Grade our show, free agency deal grader. I thought that was fun. In the Um, chat. In the chat, of course. Do it in the chat. Hit the thumbs up. Subscribe. Hit the bell. Do all that fun stuff (laughs) on your way out. We appreciate everybody tuning in. We'll be here again tomorrow for the full show, recapping today and everything else that has come up. Yes, if you're in the chat asking about Eric Kendricks, we did Talk about that probably about 20 minutes ago or so, about uh, one of my favorite signings. So, yes, we um, we appreciate everybody tuning in. We're also going to be here. There you go. We've got an A. We at least First have an grade. A. Not nice. from my heckler who thinks I'm terrible. Um, but we booted him out of the chat, hopefully. Yeah, we, we get him out of here. Silence the voices. That's that negative. To, we're not supposed to censor people these days. That's right. Yeah, do whatever. You can have your opinion. That's fine. You can be wrong. Anyway, we appreciate everybody for being here. We're going to be here also reacting on the YouTube channel if anything big happens, Aaron Rodgers and the whole deal. Um, So be sure to hit the bell so that you know when we are going live. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll see you again throughout the day and tomorrow morning.